man, the hardest part is when they are, when it gets going, I know that if I sing as hard as I can, I won't be able to speak in just a moment. So, man, thank you guys for making me be quiet. Um, I know that it makes, makes sense to you, but it makes sense to me. But anyway, uh, a lot of things I say don't make sense to people, but that's, that's okay. Uh, we are, man, we are, uh, crazy week. Pretty nuts. And I hate that I said what I said last week about every time we get to a place to where we feel like there, there can't be anything more divisive tossed out in front of us that something else will be. And it was this week. It was. It was a, uh, it was a week where I kind of had to force myself to, to stop watching the news to a degree and, and get off Facebook and not, just not, uh, not let it affect me. Because to be honest, like, it, it affects my heart. Like, it, it affects my heart in a bad way. Um, because here, here's what it does for me, and, and today's message is not about this, so I, I kind of want to open with this. Like, for me, it causes me to place my trust in, in places that it doesn't need to be. Like, it forces me to pick a side and align myself in a place to the point to where I feel like if I align myself here firm enough, everything is going to be okay. And the fact is, we can't do that. Like, we have been told that there's one place that our faith can be, there's one place that our trust can be, and that rests in the person, the life, the work, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and that's it. So if there are things around me that are forcing me to pick a side, for me, I have to step back. And that's what I had to do this week. Um, so before we go further, uh, I'd love for us to take a minute and just, here, here's what I want. Yes, I want to pray for our country, but here, here's the big deal. We need to pray for the church in this country to be the voice that it needs to be. Not for political change, not so that uh, political reform can occur, no, so that life change can happen in the midst of chaos. Because our job, to be honest, is not to build up a party. It's not to build up a platform. Our job is to make the name of Jesus great. And we can't do that if we're drawing lines in the sand. We can't. And so today, we need to pray for the name of Jesus to be louder than the division, to be louder than the hate, to be louder than the hurt, to be louder than anything. His voice needs to be the loudest in the room, and his voice comes through us, plain and simple. There's no other place. We are plan A. There is no plan B. His desire to speak to the nation rests in the responsibility acceptance of us. And so we need to pray for the church in this country today. And so... Before I get going, we're going to take just a couple minutes, and if you want to pray right there for the church, but then pray for how you are actively involved because you are the bride of Christ in that church and what our role is to be. Just pray for God to give wisdom. Pray for God to grant access. Pray for God to grant power and authority because he's told us that we have it in the name of Jesus, and so we need to accept it. So if you would, just take a minute or two and pray, and then I'll close this out, and we'll jump into 1 John um, and see what God has for us today. God, forgive us for when we cloud the mission with other things. 
Uh, forgive us for when we place our hope in, uh, in people, in organizations, in areas that can't hold our hope, that we're never designed to do that. God, today, the church in this country, uh, Father, with one voice, we need to say, just Jesus. Just Jesus. Father, we want to rest in you. We want to rely on you. We want to trust in you. And Father, we want to speak of you. We want to speak of you with boldness. We want to speak, speak of you, God, with confidence. We want to speak of you with truth. God, I pray that you would empower us. I pray that uh, we would understand that you've already equipped us and that we would utilize it. And God, that we would bring uh, reconciliation where it needs to occur. We would bring healing where it needs to occur. We would bring hope where it needs to be heard, Father. And we would do it all in the name and in the power of Jesus and nothing else. God, I thank you for a mission that is clear. And I pray that we would see it. I pray that we would step into it. And Father, I pray that we would move forward in it in your name. God, I pray for healing, and I pray for hope to be heard in your name, and it's in your name alone. Amen. Uh, yeah, so thank you guys for praying, and I pray that we would continue to do that, because um, I do believe this before we even get into to 1 John. I know that God works in great times of turmoil. He just does. People are looking for hope, um, and man, we have it, and we can share it, so let's take full advantage of that uh, in these less than normal times. So we're back in 1 John. Uh, it has been about a month of Sundays, as my grandmother would say. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know that she says it, and I, I think it has been a month of Sundays. Maybe that's longer than a real month. I don't know. But either way, we're back in the book of 1 John. Uh, the book of 1 John, if you need a refresher, I'm not going to go back and teach everything that we've already taught, but it is a book of indicators uh, of who we are and who our faith rests in and who we've been remade to be. And it occurs in the form of a lot of these if-then statements, like if you are this, then you are this, or if you are this, you are not this. So a, a large, uh, just a series of those. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, well, when we wrapped this up or when we took a pause on this, we talked about this idea of if you love God, then you do not love the world. And if you do love the world, you don't love God. Previous to that, it was this idea of if you, if you love God, then you love your brother. And then the week before that, it was if you were in the light, then you were of God. If you're in the dark, you're not. And so a lot of if-then statements. Today is a little bit different. There is an if-then statement that is kind of hidden in there, a conditional idea. But today, the goal of John is he's offering like a warning. A warning. It's there for a, a really big reason. We talked about on the onset of this book that uh, this was the, during the time of the rise of Gnosticism. It wasn't there yet in name, but it was becoming there in practice. Uh, these were mostly Greek people that they were surrounded by. This is kind of in and around Ephesus. And Gnosticism was this idea that we don't really need God for salvation. What we need is what we know and what we can do with our mind. It was, it was one of the earliest forms of humanism. Uh, the end result is being our thought, uh, our understanding, all of these things. This should be our God. And so the Greeks were very prone to this idea. Like if they, were, if they listened to the radio, if a song played for about six weeks, they were like, okay, I'm bored. I need a new song. And so what they were with any other thing is they were always looking for something new, the next good teaching, the next thing that could tickle their ears and excite them. And they had done the same thing with Christianity. They were like, yeah, this Jesus, man, he's been really entertaining for a while, but there's got to be something new. We want something new. And so John's letter here is written to these people in and around Ephesus to say, no, 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 just cling to what you know. Cling to what you know. Stick with what you've heard because it's good. Be in the light, not in the darkness. Love your brother and do all these things. And so 
that's where we find ourselves today, and today he's going to give a very poignant warning. Uh, it made me think about some warning labels that I see frequently that make me scratch my head. I've got four of these. They're really funny. I, I think they're funny, but again, I'm a dad, and I think a lot of stuff's funny that's not. The first one, like you see this, I don't know what that symbol is. Does anybody in, in the medical industry know what that symbol's for? That's a sleepy person? Really? Oh, I see it, maybe. I, think, I feel like it's somebody carrying an egg, and they could drop it. But the funny thing is, this is the label that we find on sleeping pills, okay? Yeah, things that you buy to make you go to sleep, there's a warning label on them that say it may cause drowsiness. That makes me laugh just a little bit. And, and a lot of them even say, don't, don't take these while you drive. You know, that makes, that's pretty funny. You hear about people taking Ambien strolls and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's because they took Ambien in a place they weren't supposed to. Uh, it's supposed to make you sleepy and leave this world behind for about four hours. But either way, uh, may cause drowsiness on sleeping medication. Our next one, man, this one's really funny. Can anybody tell me what that is? It's a chainsaw. They put a warning label on chainsaw boxes to tell you not to hold on to the cutting end of a chainsaw. Because why? Well, it could take your fingers off. It can cut down a tree, but my fingers aren't trees, so I must be okay. No, 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 you need a warning label to know that it could take your fingers off. It's a chainsaw. Kip, you know anything about that? Have you ever seen those labels? They're on modern chainsaws now. Yeah, they're on modern chainsaws. It's funny. Um, moving parts, they can cut and crush. Man, this is great. This is good. Anybody know what this sits on? A washing machine. Yeah, apparently, apparently you're not supposed to put people in the washer. Man, I know my kids sometimes don't want to take baths, and I figure that would be the easiest thing to do, but we still have one of the vertical ones, and I think they could survive that. You just hold on to the, the agitator. But, but one of these, that would be pretty rough, and it even tells you when it's open and it's closed. Um, man, there's water in there, believe it or not, uh, so don't put kids in, in a washer. Now, I know in college campuses you probably have to have this because, I mean, you know, you've got to do something on a Friday night, and so you want to get in a, a washer. So that's dangerous. High-speed spins. Don't put people in a washer. Man, this is... This is the peak right here, okay? This is when it gets really good. Um, before I get to this one, I'll just let this one soak in for a minute. Um, have you watched medical commercials, I mean, uh, drug commercials lately? Like, I think we're one of the few countries in the world that you can actually have commercials that are promoting prescription drugs, which is pretty funny because you need your doctor to write that script. But either way, it's pretty funny. At the end of almost every commercial, like it says, do not take if you're on... MAOI inhibitors, do not take if you're on SS, whatever, all of these things. And then at the end, it says, do not take if you're allergic to this medicine. That's pretty funny. Yeah, don't take this medicine if you're allergic to it. So anyway, this one, this is on a, a bag of peanuts. This isn't peanut butter. There's no other ingredients. It's just peanuts. That 100% right there, that means in totality, what's in this bag is peanuts. And it tells you this contains peanuts. Not suitable for people who are allergic to peanuts. Man, now I could make a cultural statement about all of these. I could, but this is what I'll say about every one of these. The reason that people put these on all of their items is because they are being, they're afraid of being sued. Okay? They're afraid of being sued. Chainsaw manufacturers, man, Steel and Husqvarna, if you've got, you've got to have a Husky, uh, Steel and Husqvarna, they're afraid that someone's going to cut their hand off because they put their hand on the wrong side of the chainsaw, so they feel the need to tell people, don't do that, and now I'm released from liability from your stupidity. But either way, that, that's the reason. I'll go ahead and tell you this. These are funny. John's not doing that today, okay? John's not releasing himself from liability, okay? I'm going to knock my coffee off in just a moment. Uh, 
John's not releasing himself from liability. John's not afraid that something's going to wash back on him. No, if we look at the entire book of the book of 1 John, John's speaking to these people like a dad, and he's like, look, I love you. I want you to know some things. So understand, when we hear a warning in Scripture, okay, it's not there to release the writer of liability. It's not there for indemnity clauses. It's not there because of any of those reasons. No, it's there for a reason, a very pertinent, a very tangible reason, because we don't need to do certain things. They're bad for us. They're not good. They pull us away from where we need to be. Today, we're going to start chapter 2, verse 18 in the book of 1 John. And there are going to be some issues that we need to discuss before we we get into actually what this is talking about. But we're going to jump in. We're going to read 18 through 27, and then we're going to come back through and talk about those. So let me pray, um, and we'll try to bring our mind back off of ridiculous warning labels. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's alive, that it's well. And God, the do's and the do-nots, they're there for a reason. Uh, They're not just arbitrary. They're not there to steal joy or anything. As a matter of fact, God, they're there so that we can keep it. They're there so that we can live in it. They're there so that we can not place our hope in baskets that it doesn't belong. God, today I pray as we hear your word and we read your word, I pray that it speaks. I pray that it makes us into people that look more and more like the bride you desire and more and more uh, into people that look act, and love like Jesus. Thank you for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So 1 John chapter 2 verse 18 says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard uh, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not, they are all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught, abide in him. So before we tackle all of this, I want to throw out a couple things. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, then uh, you may have watched a Kirk Cameron movie about the Antichrist, and you may be a little bit confused. And so there's a couple things that are occurring here first. Um, He mentions Antichrist as singular, as an individual, as an entity, alluding to some ideas of prophecy, mentioned in 1 John, mentioned in 2 John, mentioned in Matthew, mentioned in Revelation. Uh, But this is the idea of one who will come and who will be opposed to Christ and actually raise himself to a position of saying, I am him. And then he's going to flip the script and say, no, I'm not, but you trusted in me. So here we go. So that's, that's one thing. But then he mentions antichrists, plural, which is where we're going to focus today in on this morning. And so they're both there. The second thing is this. He makes a statement early on about we are in the last days. It says, um, it is the last hour. So when we're looking at the grand scheme of Scripture, we need to look at it almost like four acts in a play. The first is creation. If you've been doing the five-day reading plan this week, you've read about creation. You read that God created all things. He looked at it. He said that it was good. You looked at the daily account. You looked at that. You looked at how he created man and woman. Now, even though it takes place in about two chapters, understand that this period of time was probably pretty lengthy. 
it probably took a while to play out. It wasn't he breathed life into Adam, took a rib out the next day, then they ate of the tree. It took a while, most likely. Uh, whether you were a literal or figurative or metaphorical uh, taker of Genesis, we've talked about that before. Either way, it took a while. Okay, okay, so that was the creation. Fall, we read about that this week too, if you're reading along in the daily Bible reading. Uh, when they took of the fruit of the tree that they were told not to, sin entered the picture, and then there were consequences. So creation, fall. From there all the way until Jesus, uh, we have that period in which they were waiting for the next phase, which was redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. Redemption occurred only through Jesus. Uh, it was that third scene or third act of the play in which he came, he lived, he lived perfectly, he beat sin in life, he beat sin in death, he beat sin in resurrection so that we may have hope and be redeemed. And then the fourth phase, this is what he's talking about here. We are in the last hours of the last days. It's the idea that we are waiting for full, complete, and recognizable restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Okay, so four phases. Now, the, the New Testament writers, very likely, they had taken Jesus' words as completely and utterly literal, and they expected, to be honest, they thought that because we were in this fourth phase, because Jesus had been resurrected, that any day now he was going to return. But Jesus also said, no one knows the day nor the hour. So don't pretend that you do. Only the Father knows. And so either way, we're living in that last phase. We're awaiting the complete and total restoration. And so he says we're in the last hour. And now we can go into the warnings. He says, children, it's the last hour. You have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now, or even now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, know that it's the last hour. He says, because we know that they're here, we were told that they were going to be here. Jesus foretold it. Even in, in Mark chapter 13, we see his words saying, look, many people are going to come. They're going to come in my name. They're going to do great things and mighty, mighty works. But understand, they're not of me. They're not mine. But they're going to claim they are because they want to lead you away. And so he says, look, we can know, but because we've seen them, uh, we can know that we are in this last phase. And then he says this about some of these, these other antichrists, not the singular one that is coming later, but these plurals. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I think the first thing that we need to see um, is that, man, if we are following Jesus individually and together, understand that there will come people, there will come organizations, there will come ideals, ideals that will do their best to lead us away from Jesus. They will do their best to lead us away from Jesus. Intentions may seem good, but the message is just going to be slightly off. Good intentions never overcome bad theology. This is important. Good intentions never overcome bad theology. The longer that we follow Jesus, the chances grow that someone is going to step in our path and try to lead us away. In this particular place, he's telling them some of these people that are going to try to lead you astray, at one time, they actually sat with us. At one time, they actually ate with us. At one time, they actually served with us. But now we can look and we can see that they were never really a part of us. The scary thing is that sometimes those very people that are going to try to lead us astray are people that we know very very well. People that at one time we considered family, people at one time that we may have considered brothers and sisters in Christ, but later we can see that they never were. Now, we can have two responses to that. Uh, we can have the response of anger and uh, just intent to do them harm, or we can have compassion. 
Compassion doesn't mean that we listen to their voice and that we take in their voice, but compassion means that we still want them to return. We still want them to repent, confess. John doesn't address that specifically here, but, but I think we can draw conclusions. Um, so we can be angry or we can want what's best for them. It doesn't mean that we entertain everything that they say, though. So he, he points that out. Uh, but in verse 20, he says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And so he's saying, look, there are people that have sat among us. There are people that have, been, that have broke bread with us. They have served with us. They are no longer here. They're claiming something different. Understand, they are in opposition to Jesus. And they may want to lead you astray. But you, on the other hand, you have something that they're obviously lacking. You have the seal. You have the pouring of the Holy Spirit that rests in you as a result of your, by grace through faith in Jesus. And we can trust that. I think for a lot of us, uh, I think that the time will only uh, prove this out more and more is uh, sometimes it's easier to trust exterior voices than it is for us to trust the one that's inside of us. It's far easier for us to trust the voices on the outside than it is for us to trust the one on the inside, the one that's been placed in us supernaturally. That is the Holy Spirit of God. And so what we have to do in light of this warning, in light of so many other things, is we have to learn the language of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about tongues or anything like that, so don't, but I mean the language, the rhythms, the way that the Spirit deals with me, the way that He deals with you, the way that He speaks. We were talking to our kids at the table about this the other night, about, you know, to be honest, like probably the, the ease of following Jesus that we've had in this country is probably not going to last forever. And I'm not being a pessimist. But, but I, I read Scripture, and I see that, and I look at the way that the times are going. It's probably not going to last. For my children, it's probably going to be harder and more costly to follow Jesus than it was for me. And so in these times in which it's a bit easy, we need to learn and le- learn the way in which the Spirit speaks to me, the way that He guides me, the way that He does it through Scripture, the way that He does it through community, the way that He does it through occurrences. And I even pointed out to the kids, sometimes God's even going to speak to you through, through people that don't even claim Him, but He can use it while the waters are still as still as they can be for us, we need to learn the way that the Spirit speaks to me and learn to trust it, learn to value it, learn to live in that. The word that John's going to use in just a minute is abide, and that means to walk in, to live in, to live, really, really live in, abide. He continues on a little further. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So now we have a bit of a description. We have a definition. We've heard Antichrist. We feel like it's somebody that's just opposed to Jesus, but it's more than that. It's actually someone that's denying the very facet of what we cling to and place our hope in, that Jesus is the Son. He is God himself. He came and he lived and he died. I think the, probably one of the biggest tools that Satan uses is taking the truth and just turning it just a little bit. We can see it in the form of Jehovah's Witnesses. We can see it in the form of, of Mormonism. We can see it in the form of several other places in which they say, yes, Jesus lived, and, and he, was, he was really wise. He was very smart. He was a solid prophet, but he wasn't the Son of God. And so they're saying, yes, I agree with you on 99% of what you're saying, so we must be good. But the problem is, Scripture here is calling these people antichrists because they're choosing to say, no, 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 Jesus is not who he claimed to be. Jesus is not who you claim him to be, but, but he's still good, so we can be okay. And it's not that we're placed at odds with these people, but it's, again, how much value do we give to their words, their guidance, their perception of who Jesus is. So it, now we're being told that an antichrist is someone who is not believing in Jesus for who he was and who he said to be. 
And I can tell you that it's, this becomes incredibly painful to when these people were part of something that you were a part of, when they sat beside you, when they ate beside you, when they learned beside you, when they served beside you, and to see them walk away and no longer claim Jesus as a son, man, it hurts. It's painful, but it happens. We don't want it. We don't pray for it. We pray against it, but it does. It happens, and we need to be aware. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And here's the truth. No one, denies, no one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Well, Paul's right there in verse 24. Um, he begins to give solutions for the warning. He begins to go ahead and lay out what it looks like. You're going to have people that are going to leave. You're going to know people in your life that are no longer claiming Jesus as deity, no longer claiming Jesus as the Son, and they will attempt to deceive you. They've left. They want you to leave too. And he says, here's what we do. He said, remember what you heard from the beginning. Cling to that. And for us, this is what we've heard from the beginning, the gospel in its truest form. We can't fix ourselves. We're incapable, completely born that way, incapable. The only one that can is Jesus. So we choose him over our sin. We abandon that, choosing him. And we trust that his life, his death, his words, his resurrection, being the son of God entirely is capable of, of holding our hope, granting us hope, and granting us access to God. And through Him, we have eternal life. Only Him. I think the first tool that we use in, uh, when we hear this warning and when we recognize the danger of this is we remember how it all started for us. We remember how it all started for us. We remember the truth in the beginning. We remember what it looked like. I, I think the, the prescription in Scripture to remember the day of your salvation Man, it holds so true in the times of, of just doubt. When someone is trying to, to sow that in us and trying to get us to just believe slightly differently. Again, if you've been doing the Bible reading this week and if we go back to that second phase, that second act, the fall, remember exactly what Satan did. He took truth and he just he twisted it just a little, enough to make it believable for Eve and for Adam. And he convinced them to leave where they were. Man, the world will do this to us. People will do this to us. They may call it good intention. They may call it love, but they will do it. They will try to walk us away, usher us away from Jesus with just partial truths, twisted truths. And for us, man, our first tool is remember what drew us to Jesus in the first place. Remember what it was like to recognize my sin. Remember what it was like to abandon my sin. Remember what it was like to choose him over my sin. Remember what it was like to place my hope in him and him only. We talk about our story a lot here, like the four parts of our story that line up so perfectly with the four parts of God's story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. What was my life like before Jesus? How did he grab my attention? How did I respond? What's my life been like since? Man, one of our greatest tools is to retell our story to ourselves. When the half-truth is being placed in front of us and saying, no, 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 you don't need all of that. Just, just come here and follow what I've been following. It's working great for me. Retell your story to yourself. Remember life before Jesus. Remember what he did to grab your attention. Remember how your heart responded. And remember what he's done since. Tell your story to yourself. And then I would even say, take it a step further. Tell it to someone else. Retell your story. 
he says, so this, uh, so no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Take the story that God has written about your life through the power of his name, and man, let it, let it come to fruition. Let it live itself in you. Let it come out, your story. Live in the fact that God bought you with a high price. Live in the fact that God redeemed you from a place you couldn't redeem yourself from. Live in a place in which we understand that my sin has weight, but God's grace has more. Live in that. Abide in that. Walk in that. So that when the half-truth comes, we recognize it. We see that it doesn't give hope. It doesn't give life. It doesn't give restoration. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And then he gives us this if-then statement just to remind us again, and this is what we get to remind ourselves in our story. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And he says, if you do this, if you let this truth abide in you, live in you, then here's the promise. If you let it abide in you, then you will have the Son, you will have the Father, you will have eternal life. And I think we're given three things here in this passage, and we'll kind of pick up towards the end. Um, the first is we're given tools on how to recognize people that are, like this passage says, antichrists. We're given tools to recognize them. I think just straight up front is people that deny that Jesus is who he said he is. Man, C.S. Lewis was very apt in what he talked about. He said, look, either Jesus was entirely good and exactly who he said he was, or he was a raving lunatic. So he can't be good and not be Jesus. Because if he was good and not Jesus, then a lot of what he said was lies, and good prophets can't be liars. Good prophets can't be half-truthful. He said he's either the Son of God like he claimed to be, or he, he, he doesn't require our trust at all and doesn't deserve it at all. So we're given these, these ways of recognizing people that are. And it's, again, it's super painful when it's people that we know and people that we love, people that we've grown with, to see them no longer call on the name of Jesus for salvation. Man, I think for us, the way that it plays out anecdotally um, is very often these are people that we have grown with, the people that we have loved, and we've seen them just, man, leave the church because they don't want the weight of the church. They want the perks, but they don't want the responsibility. They want, they want the outcome, they want the goodness, but they don't necessarily want to do the goodness, which our salvation is not contingent upon, but it is an effect of our salvation. And so we'll see people leave, and it hurts, and it's painful, and our tendency is to chase, and that's okay, but at some point we need to understand when it's okay not to chase, when they're trying to entice us away. Then at some point we have to draw the line, and we have to step back, and we have to pray for their salvation, we have to pray for their restoration, but it might not come through us. Why do we do that? Because we're heeding warnings. People will try to entice us away, they will try to de deceive us and pull us away. We're told of ways to, to recognize them. I think the other thing that we're also given is uh, just this warning of beware of lies. Be aware of lies. They will come. They will be tricky. They may be small. They may take the truth and just twist it just a little bit off a degree. But if it denies the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son, not created, always there according to John chapter 1, if it denies that, then we don't trust it. We don't trust it. The most basic of litmus tests is Jesus, who he said he was. And if someone denies that, then we don't trust that. 
Do we love them? Yes. Do we pray for their salvation? Yes. Do we pray for their restoration? Yes. But the advice that they give, the direction that they give, we don't take that. There's a warning here, very clear. They will deceive you. They will try to pull you away. And then the third thing that we just talked about, we're given, uh, we're given ways to, to combat this. The first is just remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Remember your story. Remember the fact that Jesus redeemed you and only Jesus. It wasn't your good works. It wasn't a system. It wasn't a religion. No, it was just Jesus. Just Jesus by what he did and what he wants to do through you. Remember where you came from. The hope, the simplicity, and the truth of the gospel, man, it must be common language for us. The hope, the simplicity, and the truth of the gospel must become common language for us. We must know it well enough that we can repeat it to ourselves and we can repeat it to others, and we repeat it frequently to remind us of where we came from, to remind us of what Jesus has done, so that when this, this little variation comes, we recognize it. Man, one of our prime ways of doing this um, he even talks about is trusting in that spirit that is in you, trusting in that seal that is in you, the Holy Spirit. Man, the way that we begin to do that is we immerse ourselves in his word. There's no substitute for knowing God's word, not a single one. I think a lot of people have grown up in this, this place where they believe that if they come and they sit and they be fed on a weekly basis, it will be enough. Let me tell you from a pastor's position, it is not enough. I'm not telling you to earn your salvation, but I'm telling you that if we want to know the full, compelling truth of God, it takes work. It takes time. It takes diligence. It takes effort. It takes direction. It takes Scripture. And you can't wait to be spoon-fed because do you know who waits to be spoon-fed? It's babies. It's infants. And they deserve to be spoon-fed because they cannot feed themselves. But if we have grown to a level of maturity in which we are able to pick up a spoon and put it in our mouth, it is time that we feed ourselves. Do we want the supplication that comes from a teaching pastor? Absolutely. Do we want the supplemental feeding that comes from community? Absolutely. But we must endeavor to know God on our own so that when we are together, we know him more fully as a family. I will turn into the old crotchety pastor like this. Tell me that you don't have time. Tell me that you don't know how. And I will tell you that you have both time and the knowledge as to how. Because this passage assures us that we've been granted something that we weren't born with. It assures us that we've been granted with the knowledge that comes only from God, supplanted in us by supernatural works, the Holy Spirit, and He's made us available. He's made us equipped. He's made us ready to know God and to make Him known. If we want to trust the Holy Spirit, we have to get to know Him. If we want to trust God and His story, we have to get to know that, and it occurs through His Scripture. That's the reason we talk about reading your Bible so much. We're not trying to steal hours from your day. We're not trying to, to change your schedule. No, because we understand that the manifest glory of God is revealed through the pages of his word. Primarily to us, it is revealed through the pages of his word, from the very first word to the very last, and everything in between. He talks about his love for us. He talks about his plan for us. He talks about his desire for creation, and we must be aware of it, intimately aware of it, so that when lies come, we recognize them so that when half-truth present themselves, we can know them, and so that we are not deceived, so we are not enticed away. There are so many things in life, and it's not just people. It's organizations, it's movements that will tell you that you don't need Jesus for hope. Man, this week it's super evident that so many people have placed their hope in other things. They were never designed to hold our hope. 
never designed to hold our attention, never designed to hold our hope. If we have hope and we have, if we have the trust to not be deceived, man, it has to be in just Jesus. Just Jesus. I'm not telling us that we can't have interest, and I'm not telling us that we can't be involved. I'm not telling us that we can't have a voice in other arenas, but I'm telling us that if we're placing our hope in any other thing than Jesus, it will run out, it will disappoint, and it will deceive. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, this particular verse could be a little bit confusing. It may mean that, uh, that you don't require teaching. You may read it as you don't require teaching, but understand what John is doing in this moment is he's writing to a church and he's teaching them. Again, this goes back to the Greek idea of what the Greeks constantly wanted. They wanted to learn something new. They wanted to be taught something new. And he's telling them this. He's like, look, as a result of the Spirit living in you, the grace that you have already accepted by faith, the Holy Spirit that is resting in you to guide you, to push you, to compel you, you don't need to hear anything new for your salvation. You don't need to hear a new teaching for your salvation. No, you already have that. Trust in it. Trust in it. So that when people try to deceive you, they can't. They can't. We recognize it supernaturally, intellectually, emotionally. We see it for what it is. He says, you have no need that anyone should teach you, speaking of teaching you something new for your salvation. But as his anointing you teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. Man, John's parting words for how to live in the midst of this warning that people will try to deceive you, he said, live in Jesus. Just that, man, abide in him, live in him. He said the easiest way, the most important way, or the most crucial way that we can live in the midst of people trying to deceive us with half-truths or with this idea that Jesus is not who he said he was, man, just live in Jesus. Live in Jesus. Three words, but man, it's so thick and so caught up and so big. Live in the hope of Jesus, live in the knowledge of Jesus, live in the mission of Jesus, live in the words of Jesus, live in the resurrection of Jesus, live in Jesus. In divided times, in deceiving times, we must cling to Jesus. The truth of his word, the truth of his nature, the truth of his salvation, the truth and the responsibility of his mission. We must live in Jesus. In still waters, in rough waters, it doesn't matter. Live in Jesus. But I do believe that exactly what we told our kids sitting at the dinner table last week holds true for us. In times when it's easy, we need to learn the rhythms of grace and the Holy Spirit and what it means to follow Jesus because I can guarantee it and Scripture attests to it that these easy days aren't going to last. They're just not. They're not going to last. And so when the chaos really comes, maybe we've tasted a little bit, but I can promise you it's going to be bigger. So when it truly comes, we can be ready. Not to fight a war, but to share hope. Not to take up arms, but to lay down our heart so that people may know Jesus 
the one true place to place their hope. Abide in Him. Live in Him. What does that look like? Dig into His Word to find out. Commit yourself to a family, whether it's this one or another one. As long as it's an authentic, Christ-centered, biblically-driven family, commit yourself to a family. Be there in person, in spirit, in will. And more importantly, just say, God, whatever you ask, before you ask, yes. Whatever you ask, before you ask, yes. Submission to his word, submission to his people, submission to his will. Live in him. Abide in him. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us enough to warn us, God. That deception will come. Deception may come from people that we know. It may come from people that we don't. It may come in the form of just partial truth, but it will come. God, thank you for the spirit that rests in us as a result of by grace through faith, the seal that you have placed on us to to guide us, to teach us, to equip us. Father, I pray that we would take your warning seriously, but we would take your solution seriously just to live in you, abide in you, to trust in you. Because, God, hope is just not for us. It's for all of those who are far from Jesus. And, God, you you enable us and you drive us to share that hope. Drive us to trust in it so that we can share in it, so that we can convey it. Let us trust the one true gospel about the one true Son who gives us the one true life today and forever. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for using us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.